Once a human knows that every single breath of yours, every single micro moment of yours is already predetermined, meaning Allah knows about what you're going to do and how many you're going to get. <clears throat> and one thing we have to know is that ultimately everything that we do is already passed in Allah's knowledge and that's ultimately what we end up doing with our own free will. We end up doing that anyway. So... There's two aspects. Number one, we value each of these moments. So that's the one benefit of knowing this is that we value each of these moments because they're just ticking away and there's no two moments alike. And every time a moment is gone, you never get it back. There's just no way to get it back. They're predetermined moments that Allah knows about and they don't come back. So one thing is we value every moment. So that's the one benefit. The second thing is that after we've done our best to achieve or acquire something that we really wanted and we didn't get it, then we leave it to the predetermination of Allah that Allah knows anyway. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala al-mab'uuthi rahmatan lil'alameen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin. For those who are following in the book, in this series of Ibn Atayillah's Book of Wisdom or the Hikam, we have completed chapter 4 and chapter 5 we're going to postpone. We'll do that later. Right now we're moving on to chapter 6 which is on page 123 for those who are following through the book. And this is aphorism number 22, which is the first one of the chapter. So we'll be looking at number 22 and 23 today, inshallah. And it's a really, really important chapter, this one. And inshallah, this will be really encouraging uh, for, for most of us in terms of uh, it's all about taking benefit of the time and not letting the deception of shaitan overcome us to find the right time for something. Because time continues, that's what he's going to be discussing eventually. So we are uh, on page 123. This is what he says in aphorism number 22. This is what he says. He says, "Ma min nafasin, ma min nafasin tubdihi illa walahu qadarun fika yumdi illa walahu qadarun fika yumdi." What that means is, not a breath do you expire. Every breath that you take, every breath that passes. But a decree of destiny has made it go forth. Meaning every subsequent breath that we have, moment of time that this breath represents, there's a predetermined destiny from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is allowing for that next one to take place. And the next one to take place and the next one to take place until the last one. So Allah knows exactly how many breaths we're going to take. And when that quota will be filled and that last breath will be taken, then it will end. So it's all predetermined. He wants to set the scene for something that's very, very important to understand it from that perspective. So to understand this, the word nafas in Arabic means a moment of time. Daqiqatum min zaman Right? A moment of time. Usually, as much as a breath is 
exhaled and then inhaled. The, mo the, the moment of time that it takes to exhale and inhale, maybe two seconds, maybe one second. That, there's another moment of time that's mentioned which is tarfa. So the nafas in Arabic is longer than the tarfa. Tarfa ta'in, they refer to. That's even shorter. The tarfa actually is even longer um, than the lahza. Lahza in Arabic is even a shorter moment of time, which is literally the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye is faster than the taking of a breath. So these are, regardless, they're all very, very minute. They're very, very short moments. So either of them, whether you take the nafas, the tarfa to ayn, the ramak, the uh, ramkul basar, either one of them, lahza, sorry, lahza. And then he talked about the qadr, qadr is destiny. And a simple aspect of destiny, a simple understanding of destiny is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's foreknowledge, meaning Allah's eternal knowledge from before about everything that everybody's going to do with their free will. He knows He's created everybody with free will and He knows exactly what they're going to do from even before we were created. He knew what we were going to do because He just can see in the future that far. Let's put it that way to make it simple. Al-ilmu sabiq lil-ashya qabla an tadhar. That's the way they've described it. The knowledge of anything, even before they appear. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just has that knowledge. Right? And <clears throat> what exactly does that mean? And that means he knows exactly, if he knows what's going to happen, he knows exactly the amount of time it's going to take. So if we put everything that is ever going to occur, that has occurred and that is occurring and that will occur, and you put that into a stream of time that is uh, divided into small time modules. Um, imagine a ruler. Some of the time is divided in, uh, the ruler is divided into meters, decimeters, centimeters, millimeters, right? And if you want to get a better, it's a micrometer and, and so on. So just imagine on whatever scale you want it, Allah knows exactly how much of that scale, each person of us and every entity, every issue, every object is going to take up of that. And then ultimately when that whole scale of time will ultimately end, Allah knows that as well. So let's reduce ourselves to that to understand the value of this. So it's ilmu awqatiha wa amakiniha wa maqadiriha. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also knows how long, how many of these little units we're going to occupy in our life. He also knows where we're going to be when we occupy which unit. In this unit, he's going to be here. In this unit, he's going to be in Masjid al-Falah. This unit is going to be at home. He also knows exactly what is going to be your state in each of those moments. What exactly you're going to be thinking, what you're going to be going through, how your emotion is going to be. He's also going to know what kind of calamities are going to overcome you. For the last few weeks, we've forgotten a lot of other calamities in our life because it's a massive calamity that has distracted us all. Now, once we've reduced it down to this, that this is exactly why we're an equation ultimately. I don't want to demean ourselves or reduce ourselves down to that as devaluing ourselves. No, it's to actually value ourselves that we're doing this. Once a human knows that every single breath of yours, every single micro moment of yours, is already predetermined, meaning 
Allah knows about what you're going to do and how many you're going to get. <clears throat> and one thing we have to know is that ultimately everything that we do is already passed in Allah's knowledge and that's ultimately what we end up doing with our own free will. We end up doing that anyway. So there's two aspects. Number one, we value each of these moments. So that's the one benefit of knowing this is that we value each of these moments because they're just ticking away and there's no two moments alike. And every time a moment is gone, you never get it back. There's just no way to get it back. They're predetermined moments that Allah knows about and they don't come back. So one thing is we value every moment. So that's the one benefit. The second thing is that after we've done our best to achieve or acquire something that we really wanted and we didn't get it, then we leave it to the predetermination of Allah that Allah knows anyway. We've tried our best, we've said so much, we've campaigned, we've marched, but still people just don't get it. They're still blinded. Still not enough children dead. Then we have to ultimately say, well, we're going to keep trying. But Allah has a plan in store, we know that for sure. <clears throat> So he says, Every moment and micro moment, blink of an eye moment, breath moment, it's all limited and predetermined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when that last moment of yours will come to pass, that final one, which we may not even know it's our last moment until it actually happens. That's when you will travel from this dunya to the hereafter. So now the question is that if you know that this is what it all comes down to, then what's your focus now? Every, every step you take, every thought, every idea, every <clears throat> everything that you intend and everything that you strive for, somehow you need to bring it all together. Once we know this, once we know this, and we've only got a certain amount of time, what happens is that when somebody doesn't know that they've got a certain amount of time, they start taking too much time. You say, look, I've only got five minutes, brother. Can you? So then they start rushing a bit. So that's what's important is for us to know how much time we have so that we can rush a bit to do the best for the next world. That's why um, one of the poets says, Mashaynaha khutan. كُتِبَتْ عَلَيْنَا وَمَنْ كُتِبَتْ عَلَيْهِ خُطًا مَشَاهَا وَمَنْ قُسِمَتْ مَنِيَّتُهُ بِأَرْضٍ فَلَيْسَ يَمُوتُ فِي أَرْضٍ سِوَاهَا We walk the steps. We take the steps that have been decreed for us. Meaning what Allah knows of how many steps we're going to take. And anybody who Allah knows how many steps they're going to take, he will certainly walk those steps, will certainly fill those little units. However, then he says that whoever's death has been written in a particular place, then he can't die in any place but that place. So we're being told to be satisfied with that. That's why he said the concept of rida in Arabic, the concept of being satisfied in Arabic means that you deal with the most difficult matters with a smile on your face. Meaning, you deal with it not in a way that you consider yourself to be totally despondent and hopeless. Because ultimately we know that Allah knows all of this anyway.
So we do our best to achieve what we can. But then if something doesn't go the way we want it to go, then we deal with every calamity, every setback, every shortcoming with a smile on our face. Haqiqatul Rida, he says in this context is, تَلَقِّ mahalik بِوَجْهِ dahik To deal with every destructive factor but with the face of a smiling person. You don't have to literally smile, but you, it just means that you have to feel like a smiling person in the sense that you deal with it. Because ultimately, there's a whole other world to come when absolute justice will take place. Absolute justice. Absolute justice. No unfairness. Now the next point, we, go, we move on to the next aphorism. This is where it's very profound. He says, لَا تَتَرَقَّبْ فُرُوغَ الْأَغْيَارِ Once he set the scene here, he, it's the next step, which is what so many people are confused in. I just spoke with somebody uh, last week, in the, in the past week actually, who's been wanting to go and study in another country for so long. And because of, I think, a lot of deception, I think, it's the same thing. He's waiting to go to an ideal place to study. So he discounts everything that he can do locally. So he doesn't do anything locally until he can get that ideal situation. Everybody's waiting for an ideal situation. This is one of the biggest deceptions of Shaitan that I've seen in the last 25 years of my life. In multiple people. They want to do something good, but they're waiting for the ideal situation. So this is what he talks about. So listen carefully. He says, لا تترقب فروغ الأغيار لا تترقب فروغ الأغيار فإن ذلك يقطعك عن وجود المراقبة له فيما هو مقيمك فيه. It's a bit complicated, but hopefully the translation will make things clearer. Do not look forward to being free of alterities, meaning do not forward, do not look forward, meaning do not wait for that ideal time when there's nothing but you and Allah, where you get full focus, no distractions, essentially. Alterities. So do not look forward to being completely free of alterities, for that is indeed what cuts you off from vigilant attention to him in that very, in that very state that he has assigned to you. Saying a few things here. Allah has assigned to us whatever distractions there are around us. We're living in the world. The world is a place of distraction. So they're not going to go away. So he's saying that you are trying to overcome that and you want a situation where there are no distractions. But that time may never come. Which means that you're actually wasting all of this time, which is going to be probably the majority of the time, where there's always going to be distractions, but you're not remembering Allah in those. You're not taking and using the potential in that time. That's, that's the dunya, that's how it is. So ultimately, that's, that's what he says. He says, do not look forward to being free of alterities, for that is indeed what cuts you from vigilant attention to him in that very state that he has assigned to you. Because all of this time that you're in where you are occupied, Allah is the one who put you into that time anyway. You think this is shaitani time? And shaitan's like overcome and you know Allah is being defeated and shaitan's distracted you right now? No, Allah is behind that as well. Shaitan may have distracted us, but it's still within the power of Allah that Allah enables this to happen. He wants you to do something else during this time and not let the shaitan overcome you. So let's look at what he says here. This is beautiful. Uh, the word tarakkub, la tarakkub, 
meaning um, don't wait, don't look forward, don't delay to this time. Intidhar. And the concept of aghiyar that he says alterities when you're looking for a time without any, I translated it as, dist- uh, as distractions, but he calls them alterities, which basically means aghiyar, jam'u ghir, for those who understand Arabic. It's huwa ma al-qalb Anything that will corrupt your heart, anything that will take away your heart from it being connected to Allah, that's aghiyar in Arabic. So aghiyar in Arabic is anything that will take you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That's pretty much most things. وَالْغَالِبُ إِسْتِعْمَالُهُ فِيمَا يُغَيِّرُهُ مِنْ حَالَةِ الْكَمَالِ إِلَى حَالَةِ النَّقْصِ Majority of the time it's used for such distractions that will take you away from a better state to a deficient state. Doesn't let you focus fully. They're always going to be around. So he says that according to the spiritual scholars, anything that is going to take you away and distract you from presence with Allah and is going to change your heart and get it to focus on something else, then that is a ghayr. That is another thing. That is this other thing that he's seeking protection from. Okay. Now, you've heard of concepts like muraqaba, right? Muraqaba means vigilance. Meaning focus. That's what muraqaba really means. Right? Reflection, focus, vigilance, safeguarding. Essentially, muraqaba is safeguarding. In other words, guarding your heart so that it doesn't go away from being focused on Allah. That's muraqaba means that constantly raqib, constantly be conscious of yourself. That's one thing. However, here when he says you need to um, be focused in muraqaba, Wujud al-Muraqaba, which is your vigilant attention, he translates. He talks about not just your heart, but your ruh as well. So what they say is that the heart is supposed to be focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's presence. And we have to focus, guard our soul. We have to guard our soul, our ruh, right? To be constantly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not with anything else. We have to then constantly focus on our inside that we are constantly in the best etiquette for everybody and towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we don't let ourselves start thinking like lowly creatures. But we always have a high aspiration in our mind and high akhlaq and high attention to things. So there are multiple things that our heart, our soul, and also our just internal faculties to constantly be uh, thinking positively in a praiseworthy way. Now the main part here that he's, he's saying, that's what you're supposed to do. But the delusion is that I'm waiting for the best time. I'm waiting to retire. I'm waiting to get away from all of this. I'm waiting for this project to end. Right? I'm waiting for this qualification to be met, etc, etc, etc. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's placed you in whatever position you're in right now, ultimately He knows, right? That specific segment of time was for you in that particular position, in which there are all of these other distractions and others. There are all of these others within this time that are distracting us. 
and your perception towards these things is very strong. That's why you're deluded. That's why you are distracted because your perception to these things. Ultimately, it's all about perception. If our perceptions of these distractions becomes lowered and our perception to Allah increases, then despite the fact that we're in the midst of a chaos, it'll be no problem. We'll be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's about uh, the sensitivity of our perception towards those things as opposed to Allah. We just not, we don't have enough perception of Allah yet for that to be more important and focused for us than everything around us. Otherwise the same thing. So he says, just as he has put you into this dunyawi occupation, right, in the apparent, uh, you know, in, uh, as it appears, there's no escape for you from your jobs and from everything else that's going on in your life. Maybe there's an argument going on with the rest of your family or whatever, Allah, Allah forbid, or there's a war going on somewhere, whatever the case is. Your job in that situation, in that chaotic situation, as bad as it is, to guard your heart. And to keep it focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that distraction doesn't steal it away from you. Your job is that all the time. Again, your ruh, your internal faculties, everything need to be on God. All of this time because these are the times that are going to come upon you. He said, the way to sort that out is learn more. Keep learning more. Keep learning more because knowledge is helpful to keep you going. And then just don't keep waiting. Don't keep waiting until you are in that position. Oh, I was traveling so I couldn't do my dhikr. I couldn't get my salat right. I had a wedding on. I had this uh, visitor. I had to go here. I had a leak in the house. And these things are going to carry on. So he says, what you do is, you're waiting for your uh, for, for like a vacation from those things, from all of these other things besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're then delaying your heart. You're mistreating your heart. You're depriving your heart from what it really needs during that time. So that's really bad adab, he says, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're getting distracted. It's too bad. It's bad adab. And the biggest thing he says is that there is You're wasting that time. Because remember, it's still counting from those limited number of moments that were allocated for us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, that is what hit me. Ultimately, whatever it is, they are still counted moments, limited moments. They're still counting from that. And remember, the most productive people are those who try to fill every moment of their time doing something useful. Dunyawi aspect, ukhrawi aspect, hereafter aspect. So if you're going to keep those times away from having any kind of dealing with Allah, connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالصَّرْفُ الْأَوْقَاتِ لَا يُمْكِنْ قَضَاءً Remember, you're wasting all of this time, you're never going to get it back. There's no qada for this. He says that um, there's one of the shaykh, al-Mawla al-Arabi, he says whenever he would see his, uh, his students occupied with something and he's uh, getting worried that they're going to get distracted by something, he would say, be careful, be careful, you, 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 be careful. Like he would constantly remind them. Subhanallah, Imam al-Sha'rani, I visited actually his, his place in, it was about 400 years ago. 
uh, in, in Egypt, one of the big sheikhs of Egypt. He's got a number of beautiful books. We're actually preparing one of his books very soon, inshallah. So he says that one of his sheikhs would never be absent from Allah. His consciousness of Allah and his focus on Allah it was 24-7 almost, right? He would sleep on it, you could say. Probably dreamt stuff as well, right? To such a degree, subhanAllah, to such a degree, and I'm going to use because we have children here. Hatta fil jima'a. Hatta fi halatil jima'a. To such a degree that even when during intimacy uh, with the wife, he was focused on Allah even then. I mean, you're supposed to read a dua then, right? So it's not like, hey, that's haram. I mean, you can't, if you're focused on, if you've got some issue going on and you're occupied somewhere else, you're still going to be remembering it. <clears throat> this is obviously a high level where they're constantly vigilant, where they're constantly vigilant. I think if you can just even remember your dua then, that's good enough. Allahumma jannibna shaytan wa jannibi shaytana ma razaqtana. If you can just remember that. Because you know the Muslim community, they consider anybody who's be bismillah without bismillah to be haramis. That's what they call them, subhanallah. Your dad did not read bismillah. That's a mad swear that is. A'udhu billah. That's a really bad swear. Like your dad didn't read bismillah. Don't ever say that to anybody. How do you know? They say that from the actions of some people. Like you must be like that because there was no bismillah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a really important aspect in our deen. You know, to, to, uh, because that's where it all begins, subhanAllah. That's where it all begins. And you have to remember Allah then. In fact, I mean, I don't want to digress here, but there's a tafsir uh, from this major uh, Senegalese great scholar. He, he's saying that, subhanAllah, the people who are arifs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even that act gets them closer to Allah. How does that do that? Because the pleasure that's given to them, that gives them an understanding of the pleasure of paradise. That this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just have a different way of looking at it. So uh, the, the ultimately the, the conclusion of all of this is that we have a limited number of uh, minutes, seconds, microseconds, however you want to count them, they're all limited. You know, it could be a million or 10,000 or 100,000 or a billion or whatever it is, ultimately, right? Now the main thing is that Allah knows exactly what we're going to do in all of those and our job with our free will is to fill those spots to fill those units so that no unit because anytime we waste the unit another unit is not going to be given to us it counts as part of our units you've already used it up you can't say oh, I'm really sorry I was distracted I was sick those units carry on so we want to do the best that we can and number two, the thing he's saying is that you're always going to have distractions in life because that just means that your perception your sight, your ears, your heart is just perceiving those things more strongly. Because remember, our deen is not about going in a cave. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ used to retreat in a cave before he became a prophet, you know, for certain worships that he did. But after that, he never went to a cave. Once we had Islam and he became a prophet, Muhammad ﷺ, he never went into a cave afterwards to do, you know, to retreat, did he? He went into a cave to hide. You know, with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an. But going in a cave, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a cave, right? Uh, we were just in a cave two weeks ago uh, when I was in Jordan. Um, they had organized a special reading of Surah Al-Kahf in the cave of Kahf. Ashab Al-Kahf in Amman with uh, Sheikh Habib Omar and a few other big scholars that had come, read the whole of Surah Al-Kahf. 
then made very, you know, a number of du'as were made for our uh, brothers in Palestine. So, yes, caves are there, right? Alhamdulillah. But the main point is that you're always going to have distractions. You're never going to have the perfect scenario all the time, but use every moment of that. If you can't go somewhere else to study and you really want to study, study locally, study online, get something going. You've got your whole life to do this. You want to become close to Allah, you want to do some dhikr, don't wait, don't wait. Start the dhikr while you're in there because we have to raise our perception of Allah so that when we raise our perception of Allah, everything else will start happening more easily and our worry and grief over everything else will become lowered. We're still going to be in the same world, but we're just, mashallah, more in tune with Allah and that's what a satisfied person is. That is a person who's connected, that is a person who's got contentment and that's what's important. May Allah give us that. It's difficult because every new issue come, you have a little travel, you have a little visitor, you have a little call, you have to pay a bill. It just changes us. And it's like, okay, I miss my dhikr, I miss my salat sometimes, subhanAllah. You know? No, these things are like food. In fact, stronger than food. That, because it all is going to count in the hereafter. It's all going to count in the hereafter. And these moments are going to go away. Then we can just enjoy in the hereafter. You can watch all the football you want in the hereafter. If you're still going to be interested. You can see the highlights from when the team came into existence. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be there if you really still feel like watching that kind of stuff. God knows. Right? But I mean, that's one way to satisfy ourselves. That It's all there if you want. If you still feel like it. Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi had written about them. So we're on page 123. We're on number 22 and 23. Uh, wisdom. This is on time and it's important. He says, <coughs> Man is, uh, regarding the first one where he says, Ma min nafasin tubdihi illa walahu qadrun fika yumdi. Not a breath do you expire, but a decree of destiny has made it go forth. He says, man is perpetually in a state that is either pleasing or displeasing to his ego. We are enjoying or we're hating the situation we're in. If it is pleasing to Allah though, it will be a blessing. The way to find out if it's good or bad is, is it pleasing to Allah? Then it will be a blessing, a ni'mah, on condition that it is not a sin. If it is bit displeasing, then it will be a calamity on condition that it is not the effort of an act of obedience. So every state or hal has a right, a haq on a person. It is incumbent on a man to discharge these rights. The right of a blessing, when, when we're in a state of blessing, the right is gratitude, shukr, you do shukr. And the right of the state of calamity is you do patience, is that you exercise patience. It is therefore imperative for the servant to be patient or grateful for every moment of his life. Because either you're going to be in a good state or a bad state. There's no third state. There's no neutral state. A neutral state is a good state. Thus, he should not destroy even one minute of his life. But be thanking Allah in every minute. If only we could take this to heart the way some people do. I've had a person contact me twice now. He's a convert. And he says that, He's really taken it to heart. Allahu Akbar. I mean, I, I feel embarrassed myself. He said that every prayer of his that he does in the daytime or in the evening, it takes him at least half an hour or something to do the prayer. 
Why does it take him half an hour? Because he contemplates everything he reads. He said, but the problem is that at work and so on is disrupting me. I, I can't take off that much time. Is it okay if I do it some other way? And I'm just thinking, subhanAllah. So then I said, look, if it's disrupting you in the time, you can't take off because you can't take off half an hour each for each prayer, especially in winter. I said, by now, in terms of contemplation, you probably have the general meaning of what the surahs that you read. So instead of half an hour, take 10 minutes. Because now that you've read Surah Al-Fatiha so many times, you might not be able to go into a deep reflection, but at least you can get a general idea, and that's enough at least to do your prayer with. And then in the evenings, in the nights, then you can, mashallah, have a good time, you know, in, in, in that sense. Allah make it. So twice he called me about that. And I thought it was an OCD issue, and it's not, because in wudu he doesn't take that long. He's just basically taken the teaching to heart, literally, like this is what we need to do, and this is what we're going to do. May Allah give us tawfiq to, to do this. The next hikam that uh, the second one that we read was لا تترقب فروغ الأغيار فإن ذلك يقطعك عن وجود المراقبة له فيما هو مقيم كثيه. Do not look forward to being free of all alterities, for that is indeed what cuts you off from vigilant attention to him in that very state he has assigned to you. In this one, he says that when the grace of Allah, the Fadl of Allah Most High, focuses on the spiritual traveler, his heart establishes a connection with the invocation of Allah. When Allah's Fadl comes on us, then we get connected to invoking Allah, constantly in touch with Him. Thereafter, you know, like when you make a friendship with somebody, you get connected to somebody, then you want to have a lot of WhatsApp messages. Like you start talking uh, much more often. Thereafter, sometimes the condition of his engrossment in invocation is such that his heart becomes completely emptied of all things beside Allah. The love gets so deep, there's nothing else left. MashaAllah, if you can get a message from somebody who they can't sleep at 2 o'clock at night, so then they message you, that I'm thinking about you. That's a connection, isn't it? When they're going through their disturbances at night or whatever they contact you you know they send a message to you not they don't disturb you they send you a message for you to read the next day so the the idea is that if you become so connected then eventually all other things for example um, one family member she's got cancer young person she's got cancer so we're concerned about her and then when this palestine issue began for three weeks, we, I didn't even think about her because there was a bigger issue. So that's what happens sometimes. When an issue becomes big enough in our minds, even though we're so far from it, but it's a big issue for us. So then you forget about every other thing. Everything else becomes small. That's how he's saying when a person, when Allah's grace comes upon a person and they invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then eventually everything else is <coughs> dimmed in their sight. However, sometimes the alterities of mundane affairs and activities do dominate a person. Due to involvement in worldly affairs, the original state of invocation in the heart becomes overshadowed. Everything else becomes more important. The spiritual traveler becomes terrified and desires to extricate himself from this state of perplexity. Much of his time is then spent in this desire trying to get himself out. 
He waits in anticipation for a time that will make him free of all of these activities so that he can engage peacefully in invocation. He wants the perfect time to do it. So the Shaykh is, rahimahullah, is advising that a spiritual, a spiritual travel not wait for such a free time in order to resume invocation. Even the state of spiritual darkness and spiritual pollution into which the true Lord has cast one is a time granted to one by Allah. That is also Allah's time. Even when you're busy, that is Allah's time. Involving the heart excessively with the need to eliminate this pollution before actively engaging in invocation will in fact prevent one from meditation and invocation of Allah Most High. Such time is thus to be defined as negligent squandering. Shaitan, it's, it's wasting. Consequently, the idea of waiting for a time devoid of activity should be abandoned. Think that this is the only available time I have, however the time is, and that there is no other time because one has no certainty regarding the future. We may never get to a free time. This is our time. It's given to us by Allah. Thus become engrossed with your master in this very time of pollution and darkness, occupation and busyness and distraction and heedlessness. Someone asked Sahal <clears throat> ibn Abdullah al-Tustari, rahimahullah, when does the faqir, the one in need of Allah, attain comfort? He replied, the faqir attains comfort when he knows that the time which has passed over him, over him is the only time. When this knowledge becomes grounded in the spiritual traveler, the pollution and the confusion will be dispelled. This is the way to dispel the pollution. You don't try to dispel it first without the dhikr of Allah. You do the dhikr of Allah and you get involved in the invocation of Allah and this will be removed. In reality, this advice of the shaykh is the remedy to get rid of all of these alterities. The aforementioned discussion will apply if the shaykh's advice is intended for a spiritual traveler who is involved in invocation and spiritual exercises, the person who is on the path, who is trying hard. Nevertheless, this advice can apply to people who are ensnared in the world as well. It applies to everybody. Nevertheless, yeah, generally people involved in the world wait for a time when they will be freed from the encumbrances of a certain activity. They deceive themselves by believing that on the accomplishment of a particular activity, they will be free to apply themselves to the invocation of Allah. After accomplishing one worldly activity, however, they commence another. Another business opportunity comes up. You have to buy the next house, which the next car, the next job, the business expands. Then your son's going to get married. Then your daughter's going to get married. Then you're going to get married again, maybe. You know, it, it just never ends. After accomplishing one worldly activity, they commence another. There is no end to the hopes and desires of the ego. One's entire life is squandered without achieving a time to devote to the invocation of Allah. For such people in the world, the Shaykh's advice will also be applicable. They should not wait for a time when they will be free of worldly encumbrances. They should immediately engage themselves in the invocation of the Master, Mawla, regardless of worry and disturbance, Allah Most High can Himself dispel the state of worry and agitation from the heart despite one's apparent worldly preoccupation. Very, very relevant. Allah make it easy. Allah remove the problems from our brothers that are having. So let us do some dhikr. 
اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو أهله يا غفار يا فتاح يا ستار يا حفيظ يا سلام يا لطيف يا لطيف يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اغفر للمسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات الأحياء منهم ونوات اللهم اغفر لموتان المسلمين الذين شاهدونك بالوحدانية وماتوا على ذلك يا الله have mercy on this ummah Ya Allah, accept our coming here. Oh Allah, accept our discourse. Ya Allah, accept our adhkar. Oh Allah, accept our awrad. Ya Allah, accept a small dhikr that we have done. Oh Allah, allow us to do this more often. Oh Allah, allow this to become our state, our presence. Oh Allah, despite the situation you're keeping in us in, oh Allah, whatever those situations are, oh Allah, grant us closeness to you and focus and consciousness of you all the time. Oh Allah, forgive us for making so many excuses, for delaying so much, for procrastinating. Oh Allah, for becoming distracted and becoming occupied with everything else, waiting for that perfect time. Oh Allah, what a, what a false idea that was. Oh Allah, allow us to remember you regardless of our situation. Oh Allah, ease our lives and for our brothers and sisters everywhere, especially in Palestine. Oh Allah, grant them Nusra. Oh Allah, grant them assistance, grant them patience, grant them the shahada, those who have died, grant them shahada, accept them. Oh Allah, those who are left, oh Allah, grant them yaqeen in you. Oh Allah, do not let them be depressed. Oh Allah, allow them to continue to stand strong. Oh Allah, in despite all of the difficulties, oh Allah, despite the difficulties, oh Allah, how must it be that you can't even sleep? Oh Allah, without thinking that this may be my last moment. Oh Allah, we sit so comfortably, we sleep comfortably with all the amenities here that we have. Oh Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, forgive us. Oh Allah, Ya Allah, don't make this a test for us. Oh Allah, allow us and them to be protected. Oh Allah, to, to be relieved of these problems. Oh Allah, allow them to be relieved of these problems. Oh Allah, your ghayb. Oh Allah, we are already seeing the effects of your your ghayb and your assistance. Oh Allah, let that come. Oh Allah, allow that to be there. Oh Allah, grant consolation to their hearts and our hearts. And oh Allah, we ask that all the others in Afghanistan, the earthquakes and all the other places where people are suffering, oh Allah, relieve them, relieve them of their burdens. Oh Allah, the, we know you've made the hereafter, the real life for us. That is what makes it easier to deal with the tragedies of this life. Oh Allah, it makes it easier to deal with the difficulties and the setbacks. We know that ultimately we're all going to return to you. Oh Allah, strengthen our faith. Continue to allow us to focus on you. We thank you abundantly for allowing us to be here, to gather here to remember you for this short amount of time in these two weeks. Oh Allah, we ask that you accept it from us. Grant us sincerity, grant us purity. Oh Allah, bless everybody that's here and those who are listening. Oh Allah, bless everybody. And oh Allah, let us see brighter days. Oh Allah, both in this world and definitely in the hereafter. 
Oh Allah, allow us to be with your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and gain the company of your righteous ones, your prophets and your anbiya and your shuhada and your siddiqeen in the hereafter. Ya Allah, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. Oh Allah, strengthen us and allow us to do that which is right, that which is beneficial, that which is practical, that which is productive. Oh Allah, forgive us from acting ignorantly, forgive us from making the wrong excuses. And oh Allah, we ask that you allow us to join the company of the Prophet ﷺ in the hereafter. We send abundant blessings to him. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al mursaleen wa alhamdulillah. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time especially for example the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there the Islamic Essentials certificate which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident you don't have to leave lectures behind you can continue to leave uh, you know to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well jazakallah khairan assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh